everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Jessica Bard, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. Since IPF has unknown origin, diagnosis and management is often challenging. Dr. Ganesh Raghu is here to speak with us about overcoming these challenges. Dr. Raghu is a professor of medicine, laboratory medicine, and pathology, and the director of the Center for Interstitial Lung Disease at the University of Washington in Seattle, Washington. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Raghu. You're speaking at the session, Conundrums and Controversies in Diagnosis and Management of Interstitial Lung Disease at the ATS 2021 Annual Meeting. Your specific debate topic is on idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. Firstly, do you think IPF is a distinct clinical entity? Why or why not? Well, Jessica, the term idiopathic is often used to describe a disease with no identifiable cause and is considered a specific primary entity of unknown cause. On the other hand, pulmonary fibrosis is a stereotypic pathologic response in the lung to several occult and systemic factors, and the cause may never be discovered in many. A distinction from pulmonary fibrosis that could occur without an attributable cause was actually made by a consensus of opinions among international experts in the year 2000, that's 21 years ago, by coining the term IPF or idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis and defined it as a distinct specific primary entity that occurs in adults, predominantly in males over 60 years of age in whom the manifested fibrosis was relentlessly progressed to death over three to five years after the diagnosis. How is a distinct clinical entity defined and why does an IPF fall into that category? A distinct clinical entity is defined with precise clinical features. And in this regards, the clinical practice guidelines in the year 2011 and further in 2018 that I was privileged to be the chair of, indeed have refined the specific clinical radiographic and pathological features of IPF. So as it stands now, yes, IPF would fall into this category as a distinct category. But then despite the precise criteria developed by ourselves, the guideline committee, the hallmark feature of UIP pattern that is required to ascertain the diagnosis of this distinct clinical entity that we currently believe is a distinct one is however nonspecific. As it occurs in several heterogeneous group of interstitial lung disease in whom the cause is either in the environment or as an association of other clinical conditions. So thus it really depends upon how prudent and Tarot, the confronted clinician, is in taking a detailed history and subject the patient to a very thorough clinical evaluation to eliminate all the known causes and clinical conditions that are associated with this manifestation of what we call UIP. In other words, if the clinical evaluation is not thorough enough, and if the clinician is not thorough enough to pursue the index of the clinical suspicion for other diseases, such as hypersensitivity pneumonitis, occult connective tissue disease, the clinician tends to simply label the diagnosis as IPF, which is what the concern is. What research has been conducted that supports your stance? Several studies have actually documented that patients who manifest features of idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis the way we describe now, do in fact have connective tissue disease. And in fact, the so-called IPF may precede 
the overt manifestation of specific connective tissue disease by POEs. That's one. Number two, we also know that interstitial lung abnormalities precedes the manifestation of UIP or IPF. And in fact, a position paper by the Fleshner Society recently published this issue in the Lancet Respiratory Medicine that discusses this concept. Third, a prospective study done in Barcelona a few years ago actually documented that 40% of patients who were diagnosed as IPF by a central review of experienced ILD IPF experts utilizing the same guidelines turned out to have hypersensitivity pneumonitis when the same cases were actually re-evaluated. So fibrotic hypersensitivity pneumonitis is always in the differential diagnosis of IPF and often missed by the clinician as there were no guidelines available to make the diagnosis of hypersensitivity pneumonitis until now. In fact, an evidence-based guidelines for the diagnosis of hypersensitivity pneumonitis has just been published by the ATS. And I'm very hopeful that clinicians will now be able to pursue the diagnosis of HP, the hypersensitivity pneumonitis, rather than concluding the diagnosis as IPF without pursuing other causes. Also, genetic factors are becoming an important known factors, such as telomere biology disorders. Other genetic polymorphisms are now discovered in about 30% of patients with what we currently believe to have IPF. Thus, genetic environmental factors besides connective tissue disease and other clinical conditions, including some known inherited diseases, are being recognized as associated manifestation of pulmonary fibrosis and disease behavior similar to IPF. Finally, there is a rapidly evolving concept and knowledge that pulmonary fibrosis is progressive. In several of the heterogeneous group of interstitial lung diseases, this is yet another supporting argument that IPF is not a distinct entity anymore. Well, you briefly touched on this, but how might this research aid healthcare providers in making a diagnosis of IPF more quickly? Well, Jessica, it is my hope that this debate or increasing awareness will awaken the minds of healthcare providers to be more diligent and prudent in thorough evaluation, as I have explicitly stated, by eliciting a very detailed medical history that includes family history, genetic factors, environmental factors, clinical assessment that requires multidisciplinary discussions, and be constantly on the lookout for systemic diseases, such as connective tissue disease, and be confronted with patients with the interstitial lung disease before concluding the patient as IPF. So in my opinion, making a diagnosis of IPF, as you call it more quickly or even early, is, is too late in my opinion, as the current criteria to make the diagnosis of IPF requires the lung to have advanced disease called honeycomb features, which is now a hallmark characteristic feature of IPF as it stands today. Well, Dr. Ragu, what is the overall key take-home message for our audience today? The overall key take-home message is that UIP, that is currently required feature to make a diagnosis of IPF, does not equate to the diagnosis of IPF. It is non-specific manifestation of many clinical entities. Therefore, it is crucial for the clinician to investigate for this and engage other experts in multidisciplines to make the diagnosis before diagnosing IPF. And if they do that, the prevalence of true IPF is likely to be substantially lower than the current estimate of only 20%. Is there anything else that you'd like to add today? Anything that we missed? 
not really, but I think it is time to acknowledge maybe changing the I in the IPF to I as irreversible pulmonary fibrosis, irreversible as it relates to honeycomb lung, because honeycomb lung cannot be reversed, at least to current knowledge. And that is irreversible pulmonary causes to multiple causes. And this is likely to shift the clinical understanding and therapeutic strategies can then target the cascade or the fibrotic pathways, regardless of the cause. And I think this shift will provoke both the clinician and the patient to be more prudent and diligent in exploring occult causes that led to the manifestation of UIP with the hope that I think it'll, the UIP will become a rare manifestation in the future and the term idiopathic in the context of idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis will soon be a historical term. So basically, Jessica, I think time has come for us to concede that IPF is not a primary entity of unknown cause anymore. It simply represents a delayed diagnosis of irreversible pulmonary fibrosis, meaning honeycomb lung of multiple causes. Thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate you being here. You're welcome, Jessica. Thank you for having me.